Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell. Today we are talking about leaving the fitness industry for the corporate industry and doing six months of sobriety. Today's conversation is with Harry Young, who is an accountancy and finance specialist recruiter and somebody that I've been connected with over the years through Instagram primarily and then later on through LinkedIn and talking about the podcast. Harry is somebody that has bucked the trend in terms of leaving the fitness industry for the corporate world when quite often it seems to be a trend that goes the other way. We explore Harry's reasons for doing this, his why and how as part of this process, as well as Harry's views on monetizing your passion. Certainly a refreshing conversation and one that I think we need to hear a little bit more of, especially if we want to hold up corporate careers as a viable path for people to find success and purpose within. Secondly, as part of this conversation, Harry has recently completed six months of sobriety at the age of 23 in order to maximize his productivity. As part of this conversation, we are diving into what his previous relationship was like with alcohol, what changed, when he started to see the benefits, and ultimately what those benefits were in the different areas of his life. As part of this discussion, Harry also shares with us his time off Instagram, which is now totaled six months as well. So an incredible last six months for Harry in terms of productivity, and we dive into all of that. Lastly, we are talking about the different self-development sources that Harry has not only read, but actioned as part of this self-development journey. And there are three keystone habits which he touches on, which I think a lot of us will both resonate with or consider implementing ourselves. I'm delighted to say that today's podcast is brought to you by Sons. Sons is a men's health brand that's helping guys with one key health issue that we don't often talk about, and that is how to keep our hair. Many of you will know from my Instagram that I have spoken about at the age of 21, I noticed that my temples were starting to recede and I was not okay with it. I decided to take action and use finasteride and have done for the last seven years. Sons supply not just finasteride, but a wide range of medically proven solutions for hair loss. Click the link in the bio, it's sons.co.uk and you can take a free online consultation and assessment via a GP to explore which of their solutions would be best for you. They deliver results in 9 out of 10 men and have different options from monthly subscriptions all the way up to 3 and 6 month packages. To get £20 off your first order, use the code SONSCAMBRO at checkout. Thank you again for their massive support and thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us for another episode. If you are enjoying this, please make sure you've hit the subscribe button that you have rated as five stars on the platform that you're listening on and you take the time to share it with a friend that you think might enjoy the episode. Without any further ado, let's get into our chat with Harry Young. Welcome back to another episode of Cambro Conversations. And today we are touching on an almost a topic in reverse in terms of leaving the fitness industry and moving into the corporate and bucking trends as a young male in the west of Scotland and going six months sober. To do so, we are joined by a recruiter in the accountancy and finance space, Mr. Harry Young. Harry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into this one, mostly because one, there's a lot of parallels and you and I have an awful lot in common these days, but also because 
we pretty much connected off the back of you listening to the podcast and having really thought-provoking conversations with me. And I thought, why don't we record this? Because people want, want to hear these kind of level of discussions. Yeah, absolutely. It's a kind of a funny one because I've been aware of your, yourself since my time, obviously working in, in fitness. I used to follow the, your fitness page on my own personal fitness page, Harry Young Fitness, RIP. Um, so yeah, it, it was interesting to kind of know from that and, and got exposure to the podcast and then obviously ended up having interesting conversations and it's taken us to this point. So it's funny to see how things can kind of progress and develop out of, out of nothing really. Yeah, and I think as a bit of a tangent, connecting with people online who are like-minded is one of the skills in the 21st century that a lot of people sometimes forget about. Yes, social media is great to scroll on, or we're going to touch on what you've been up to with social media, but reaching out to people that you want to connect with and having common ground, you can end up building really strong connections and friendships, and it's such a worthwhile thing to do to send a message to somebody that you think you might get on well with or have a connection with on, on a particular topic? Absolutely. I think it's all about value and buying. Like, if you, I remember reading ages ago that the people that do well on social media a lot of the time, particularly in the fitness industry, are people that are being unapologetic themselves because it's the same reason why consumers buy into people, not brands, a lot of the time. And if you look at like Cristiano Ronaldo has more followers on Instagram than Juventus because people buy into people, not brands. So I think when people are being genuine themselves and that comes across and, and you can see them adding value, it's it's worthwhile to reach out if you feel like there's common ground that can be explored there and you know mutually beneficial for both people. So I think it's a really interesting topic of conversation, but I won't go into that one too deeply. Yeah, we won't go into that one today, Harry. So you've, you've touched on there, you were Harry Young Fitness, you were a personal trainer. How did you end up there and what was your kind of educational background before you went into the fitness industry? God, how long have you got? So I left school. And I wanted to go and study law, not because I wanted to be a lawyer, but because I saw that as the quickest route to getting a well-paid job. And I probably didn't do as much research on, um, on, on careers as I maybe should have done. And I didn't get the grades, so I ended up studying business at university. And then I dropped out to study music. I thought I was going to follow my passions, and that's what I was going to do. So it was a kind of an interesting couple of years. And then I went and studied commercial music, and I enjoyed the degree, but it's one of those ones whereby it exposed me to the fact that that is a hobby. So my, my first exposure to something being, you know, there's a lot of pressure, I think, in the modern era to, people are encouraged to try and monetize their passions. But actually, I've come to think of it that, like, billionaires can make a lot of money out of people, people buying into that. I think find something that you're good at and that you can add value to in a commercial organization. And you've got your weekends and your evenings. And this is maybe, a, you know, an opinion that goes against a lot of what people read and consume on, online now. But I truly don't believe that in every case you should follow your passions. I think you should enjoy your passions, but actually see what skills you've got, see where you can apply commercial value to an organization. And do that, I mean, I always use the analogy of a tax manager. So like a tax manager doesn't go into tax being like, that's what I'm going to do. You know, that's, that's the love of my life. But but by doing tax for 30 years and becoming the best in his field, he learns to love it because he gets the appreciation, the reward that comes with that. So um, I, I went to study music. I enjoyed it, but it made me realize that I didn't want to do music. Um, it wasn't going to take me to where I wanted to go in life. And I'd always played sport in school and, and I'd, you know, had those early exposures to the gym, training chess three days a week and watching Zez videos and taking too much creatine and, and thinking, you know, creating steroids and supplements were all going to make me absolutely massive. And 
<clears throat> you know, I had I had a, a group of friends that came to the school and stuff like that, and we were kind of encouraged with the school sports stuff like that. And, I, and I enjoyed it then, but didn't get into it in a massive way. Probably got into the gym for the wrong reasons. I would describe in terms of those external motivating factors, like wanting to look good on a sixth form holiday to Zante as opposed to wanting to be actually fitter and healthier, you know? Yeah. And then when I was at university, I got more and more into the gym. I was getting bigger. I was getting more consistent. I was enjoying training more and more. And by the time I was finishing up in my last year, I did um, my level two, my level three, and a, and a bunch of other kind of supplementary CPD courses um, and got a job with David Lloyd in the West End and was a personal trainer for eight months. And, and that was kind of my route into it. I wasn't really 100% sure what I wanted to do when I left uni. And where do you take a music degree? I wasn't sure how that would look, but I knew that I loved the gym. You know, I'd, I'd had that thing that I'm sure you've had all my mates being like, oh, mate, you know, what's, what's your training plan, bro? What's your split? What's, what's your diet? What are you eating? What supplements are you taking? And it's helped some of them achieve some good stuff. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm doing these qualifications. Why don't I just go and do this for a while? So I did. That makes, that, that makes a lot of sense, Harry. And I think the first thing you've touched on there is around maybe the entrepreneurship porn that we're exposed to online. And there's so much to be said from it in a positive light. And I've had some fantastic guests in the podcast who have left traditional jobs to work for themselves, have their own businesses, one in copywriting, many, many of them in the fitness industry. And that's fantastic. However, the vast majority of the population will work for a commercial or corporate business and try and drive the most value possible in order to like, financially put themselves in a good position while still enjoying their evenings and the weekends, as you've said. And I think that's a very interesting point to touch on at the start. And it, it greatly interests me, and I'm sure it will many of the listeners, that you initially went to that passion, didn't it didn't it didn't fulfill what you were wanting to achieve but then you went to your next passion which was fitness and you worked as a pt for eight months what? eight nine months eight nine months yeah so david lloyd west end gym that i've used many times know many of the members who uh some of them are, are mutual friends of you hopefully they're listening to this and yeah, i i think my first question is why didn't like what drove you to want to leave that industry opportunity um the thing is actually you know when i was there in terms of my actual this is probably one of the things that actually maybe ended up prompting me to want to leave fitness my sales figures were phenomenal which maybe give me a give me a steer in terms of what i might actually be or be going off to do and um i remember so yeah i broke the record for most direct debit signed up in a week and i went from you know to no clients to 20 clients pretty much you know and this is membership sales harry no, so these are, so when, so I don't know how, if you know how it works, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've not had too many personal trainers in your life. So members join the club and then when they're on the gym floor, we are doing what essentially I now understand is business development. You just kind of develop your own business by approaching people in the gym and offering them free sessions and, and um, you know, if you think you can genuinely help them. And then when people sign up to the gym, they're offered an introduction, introductory session with the PT, although I actually did have a few people sign up to the club to train with myself. And I was very active on social media with what I was doing in my own transformation and what I was how, how I was training what I was doing so yeah absolutely I mean and I, I did really enjoy it but <clears throat> quickly you know I realized that there were things about the role that actually didn't suit me as well and I kind of always had in the back of my head maybe even since school that I'd like to go and do something corporate I just didn't know what it was I didn't know how to you know we've touched upon this in terms of like the Gary V kind of hustle poor thing I didn't know how to monetize um the skills that I had I wasn't really interested in going and further studying. So I remember kind of coming 
to start to think about it a bit more when I turned 22 and I was like, what skills have I actually got that um, are, are of value and where can I place them? And, you know, a lot of the stuff I looked at, like in investment management and commercial property would have involved a degree of further education. And it just wasn't something that I wanted to do. Like I just much, I'm much more of a, a goal-oriented person in terms of tangible outcomes as opposed to like yeah. studying an essay as opposed to right, make these calls, reach out to these clients uh, and see kind of how you can perform in, in a commercial sense. So um, yeah, I, I would say I, I kind of, I, I got pushed a little bit as well in the sense that I was like, David Lloyd is a means to an end in the fitness industry, right? Yeah. It's, it's usually the first step on a journey. And I'm sure a lot of people listening, people we've had on, this is their background as well. In the fitness industry, you know, you, you, you get a job in a commercial gym, you build a client base, you take them out to your own gym or you rent floor space somewhere else. That's not the David Lloyd model. So that's the pure gym model in the sense of you maybe, you know, you rent a space before you, or you do your hours to cover your pay and then you pick up clients that way. But if you work in David Lloyd, three times out of four, four times out of five, those people build a client base and they move on. And we saw, you know, we saw it with people that I worked with in the West and David Lloyd. So it's a means to an end because, you know, I'm sure that probably not many people from David Lloyd listening, but if you sell a 45 pound PT session at David Lloyd, you're probably only going to see 12 quid. Yes. So for an hour's work and you're kind of thinking, well, if you think about how much, how many PT sessions I'm actually selling, again, from a commercial viewpoint, is, is this the best use of my time? And obviously everyone, majority of people come to the conclusion that it's not. And also, I think, I think with the gym thing as well, the thing to remember is when you're 22, you sacrifice a lot of the time, your weekends, your evenings, your mornings, and your lunch, because the, people, the time when people want perfect training sessions is the time when they're not working. Yep. So that means that you have to kind of fill that time in the day. So you end up doing a lot of kind of 12, 13 hour days for not that much financial rewards. So it was always kind of a means to an end, but much with the music, much like with the music thing. Um, and even with the, the sobriety thing that we'll touch on, whatever I'm doing, I tend to want to, explore it to the fullest option so I couldn't just you know write songs I had to go and study music and release songs or when it comes to the gym I couldn't just be in the gym I had to qualify as a PT and get a job as a PT you know I, I like to try and get the full depth out of these things and it's a part of myself that I've just become a lot more self-aware of I think especially through these last six months actually as we'll kind of touch on. I can completely understand what you're saying there in terms of you want to explore things to the fullest <laughs> you've got an appetite to delve deeper and I think there's a lot of healthy traits to that obviously there's traits that can make that in terms of your personality that can lead to to um to, to excess in other areas and again we can we can certainly touch on that we're promising lots in this episode but i can i can reassure you having spoken to harry a number of times that you're, you're going to get a lot so for me harry you're saying that you did this personal training role one of the things that you actually found fulfilling about the role was the business development aspect in terms of building relationships with people while you enjoyed building the training program, putting them through an hour session, you were enjoying the the chase and the prospecting and the closing of the, the sign-up. And for you, looking around, you were thinking, commercial property means a further degree, further study. What can I do with my skill set to work in a corporate environment, be financially uh, remunerated for it? And it turned out the answer was recruitment. Why recruitment, I suppose? And uh, how, did, how did that go to start with? You're absolutely spot on. And as I said, when I got to the end of my time at David Lloyd, I was having quite, I was, you know, I was speaking, I was speaking to people. And this is what I would say, advice to anyone, if you're not happy with anything that you're doing, go and start digging because these things don't come to you. And, and that's kind of one of the things that I learned. Go and have the conversation with people and find out the information's out there, but you have to go and get it. So I spoke um, with people who worked in recruitment, investment management, and commercial property. 
banking and I'm just, I was having this conversation. You know, the other one that actually really tempted me was commercial property. But I would have meant, even if I went into a firm doing that, because that's a very... Regulated. It's a high degree of people interaction with that as well, especially in in Scotland. It's quite a small community and I I had some kind of exposure to that. But I think with recruitment, what it was, I didn't have to go and do further education. I knew that from speaking to a guy called David Twiddle, who co-founded Morgan McKinley, which is a massive recruitment business in England. Um, I managed to get contact through him through a family member who had used him for something. And he very generously took a couple of hours on the phone to explain to me the industry and kind of go over actually if I did think that was a good fit. And I think the thing about recruitment is it's all about building relationships. I think of it very much as an infinite game. The thing about recruitment is you get your wins, but there is no end to the game. It's not like you win and you're done. It's not like a game of football. Like the game, the game is not to win. It's just to keep playing and building strong relationships over an extended period of time. And you're right in the sense that I absolutely loved kind of doing deals in the gym as I saw it or like signing people up. I always would seek to get the full value. And I had some amazing results with some of my clients in the gym, which I'm really, really proud of. But it was that process of taking someone from never having had a conversation with me to two weeks down the line and trusting me to help them change their life. And recruitment in that sense is not too dissimilar because, you know, people spend the majority of their time at work. So yes. if you think about, um, you know, some, someone's job is important to them. So I, I consider my role to be very, very important. So I just felt that I had interpersonal skills i had started developing some of the sales skills i've always loved people i like speaking to people i get very very bought into conversations which is a lot of the time the conversation we've had but i I really actually do enjoy spending my day speaking to people like it doesn't often feel like a day's work so i feel very lucky in that sense whereas to some people that would be their absolute worst nightmare and i also think to be successful in recruitment you've got to be quite resilient and there's nothing quite like going up to someone that you've never spoken to on a gym floor I'm trying to sell them PT or trying to get a safe session and just being shot down. So I'd kind of been exposed to that kind of other aspect of sales. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, I'm going to touch on this very briefly, but if you pursue a career in music, everyone's going to have something to say about that. So I'd probably been exposed to people's opinions to the fact that oh, I just didn't really care. You know, I saw recruitment as an opportunity for me to apply my skills to something that I felt I could be successful in. And so far I've been proven correct. So I just looked like a natural fit for my skills. So I got my CV out. Um, to people that I now understand as rec to rec, so it's recruiters who recruit recruiters, which is to me fascinating. <laughs> Inception. Then, <laughs> anyway, I, I heard a rumor actually that there's going to be a rec to rec to rec to rec, so there's going to be an agency starting up that recruits recruiters who recruit recruiters. Um, you heard it here first. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got my I got my basic, I got my CV out, and then by two weeks later, I had a job in recruitment, and I had a couple of places I went to final stage with. I think. And there's quite a high churn in recruitment in the first year. Yeah. A lot of people maybe think the same things that I did and then realize it's actually really tough to be successful. Um, But it's worthwhile you can do it. But I was potentially proven right or proven right so far in terms of what I set out to do. So it looked like a natural fit. Very long answer to your question, but it looked like a natural fit for the skills I felt I have. I didn't have to do any further study. So I thought I would just go for it and give it everything. I think there's a huge amount to take from that, albeit I know you said I've given you a really long answer, but it's because there was a lot within it. And I guess the short answer is, like you say, there was a skill set which you had, you managed to find a corporate role which has a high churn, like you say, because it is difficult. It's not as easy as people would maybe assume. You had faced rejection across your music career, across approaching people in the in the gym for PT. So you kind of built that kind of that thicker skin through time under tension, through reps, that thing that I always talk about in terms of 
uh, like ability to do things that make some people uncomfortable. And that's what I really resonate. And I know in recruitment that there is a huge amount of rejection because you spend a huge amount of time on the phone sourcing either um, opportunities within businesses or opportunities in terms of adding to your candidate base. Or, uh, so, th- so that there's kind of two strands to it and rejection can be sore at both ends, but particularly for the, in terms of sourcing actual jobs to recruit for. So I completely understand that. And I like the fact that you knew you had a skill set that would work there, but like you say, many people probably feel they do as well, but then it doesn't quite happen for them. To, 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 to probably give an example, Many of my friends that work in recruitment have been in it for four, five, six years, just based on me being out of university for that period of time. And they are some of the most successful financially people that I'm friends with. So that's an interesting caveat to it. And I I guess that was a a big part for you in terms of you could see the financial returns long-term in terms of if you were successful in that space. 100%. I think the thing about, I suppose we can talk about it in terms of comparatively to PT, in terms of input versus output so you look at something like working in david lloyd's the amount of hours and effort you put in and it's input versus output i'm putting in all this and this is what i'm getting back it didn't add up <laughs> so i wanted to be in an environment where as you say look it's not like i probably would have been more motivated by money initially going into recruitment than i am now i've learned to love the process and it now is, comes as a close second. And the thing as well is it's recognition, you know, the recognition from the client that you've done a good job, the candidate that you've got them a five grand salary raise or you've got them a better job. And from my peers at work and, and my managers, it's the recognition that I really love. God, it's just that ego talking, isn't it? It's, but it's that recognition attention I love. And um, the financial remuneration comparatively in terms of input versus output in terms of something like PT is massive, but it's a different type of hard work. It requires a different type of resilience, but there's no doubt that there's people in recruitment in Scotland that are very, very successful and are, and are living very comfortably. And of course, that's going to be, and that was a motivating factor, not the only motivating factor. Yeah, completely, completely makes sense to me, Harry. So you started in recruitment, you had a good start by all means, but six months ago, you made a pretty big decision to go sober. What does that mean to you in terms of from where you'd come from? I mean, I think the place to start with it is I had a couple of fairly major things happening in my life. So I had just bought a flat. So I was moving into my first ever flat, taking my first step onto the property ladder. I was going back to work after four and a half months of being furloughed. And I was stepping back into a job that I only had six months experience in. um, Having moved back to Glasgow into this flat and... I wasn't sure what was going to happen. Like People had been made redundant, as many people in recruitment were. I hadn't been. I'd been kept on. That I was very proud of and, and happy about, obviously. You know, based on my performance, I wasn't all that surprised. Um, just purely based on cost of the business versus... Return. Earning. Yeah, absolutely. But within one week in September, I think I moved into my flat on the 21st of September and I was back to work on the 28th. So there came a time at the end of August where I was like starting to think about this and how my life was going to work out and it was like you know what I'd had an interesting summer moving back to Glasgow after living with my dad for a year because when I took the job in recruitment it meant moving back home to try and save up some money for a deposit and would obviously again proved to be a good decision but it was a different pace of life for me and having moved out you know at at 18 to be back back with dad at 22 and living in his spare room but um so I moved back to Glasgow 
um, in, in with my best mate from school. And um, yeah, I probably had a couple of months of enjoying myself, getting paid not to go to work uh, and making the most of it. The gyms were shut, everything was really shut. There wasn't a lot happening. You know, there's, there's, there's plenty of fun to be had uh, when you're getting paid not to go to work and, and you're 22 and just back living with your friends, having been living at home, especially when the last few months of living at home has been due to lockdown. So, yeah. so you, had a lot, you had a lot going on in terms of big things that were coming in the pipeline. You'd had that faith put in you by your work to keep you on during a period when, like you say, many recruiters were made redundant. Like you say, you'd, you'd, you'd done well in your first six months, so they were pleased with you and they could see the return on investment was coming. Yeah. You probably wanted to take it up a notch in terms of on your return after this four and a half month layoff. You, like you say, had enjoyed yourself over the over 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 the summer, and you thought that sobriety was the productivity hack. What kind of drove that thought? I think you know I, I listened to our podcast. You know, one thing that we obviously share in common is we both listen to Modern Wisdom a lot. Obviously, hosted by Chris Williams, and I know the first ever guest on this podcast so it's great to have my name beside him in some way but yeah. I started listening to him and hearing his thoughts on sobriety particularly his episode with Dominic McGregor was interesting and then his interview with yourself and getting exposed to your own exposure to it and I just started to read more and more about it and I just started to question everything a bit more so I think in West Central Scotland we're all very desensitized to drinking it's just part and parcel you yeah. know we've grown up surrounded by friends and family that are drinking you know it's always the joke that people make make that they're drinking it's not very funny but the drinking age in Scotland is 12 15 but it is very much a rite of passage thing and no one ever kind of questions it and I started to get more exposed to I mean because even when I was a personal trainer I was never never a massive drinker in the sense that I would drink like multiple times a week but I might go out once on a weekend and absolutely can it yeah um but I started to get exposed to kind of more more people and more ideas around sobriety and the thing is when you stop drinking people think you've got a problem and that's yeah. kind of the, one of the points that chris williamson always touched on a lot it's like alcohol is the only drug or if you don't do it people assume you have a problem yeah you know what i mean and um i kind of just got to a point where i was like i just started to question it all a bit more and i was like if i removed it from the equation i would get more out of my work i would get a more performance in the gym I'd have more money at the end of every month and I'd never really experimented with it in that way before but once I started to break it down and look at it through those three things was more more work done more productivity less calories and less costs and I was like do you know with the financial implications of buying you know buying my first flat and being back at work I was like I could probably do with being a bit sharper and a bit more productive and I could probably do with a bit more money in the bank so I took the decision about a month before I went back to work coincidentally the gyms opened up in Scotland again about a week later and I was very very keen to hit the ground running having gone from being a PT to kind of looking at my physical appearance deteriorate somewhat com comparatively to that yep. in lockdown I was keen to hit the ground running with that as well so that kind of tied in with the flat and going back to work so it was kind of a perfect storm of stuff I'd had a big summer um, I was in the flat I was the gyms were open I was back to work and I was like you know what I'm just going to give this absolutely everything and particularly with the work piece I in recruitment you've got a desk that you work on and the market was quiet and I knew that I was gonna to compete I was gonna have to really put the hours in especially after four and a half months off so that was a massive part of it like I was gonna I kind of I can remember a couple of days before I was going back to work I was thinking no what ifs here like I'm gonna put everything on the line like if it means working six or seven hours a week to get the desired results then I'm gonna do it and I don't want anything to get in the way of that and I was just kind of ready for it at that time 
Um, so there was all that kind of stuff happening in my life and I was just like, you know what, now's the time to give sobriety a, a shot because I'd started being exposed to it. I'd, I had all this stuff going on and I was like, you know what, let's just give it a shot and see where we get to it. And I'd never had any plans to get to this. It was just, I'm going to take a weekend off and just have a bit more of a chill one. And that's kind of what started. When did you see the benefits? I think a few weeks, although interestingly, like there's very clearly defined different stages to like what you notice like I can remember first kind of speaking to you about this after two or three months and where I'm at now compared to then is massive like it's all kind of a journey I think I think in terms of the gym very quickly and I'd always had in the back of my head a little voice when I was a PT saying you know if you could quit the 10 pints and the kebab on a Saturday you'd be even more shredded like there's really no need and, but I was just like, nah, you know, but I was only 21 then. So I think, again, I kind of subscribed to the Chris Williamson view on that, that I probably hadn't learned all the lessons from alcohol that I needed to learn yet. Yeah. I think that 23 is probably a more appropriate time. You know, I think like I'm, I certainly like I've had fun down the years and I don't regret any of it. Like it's been an absolute blast. And there's people that will be listening to this podcast that have had many, many good nights with me. And I don't regret any of them. You know, it's not my angle here. Um, and I think that you shouldn't when you're young. I think it's a rite of passage. I just think I got to an age whereby I started to question what it was actually doing for my bank balance and my wasteland and my productivity. And the key term you said there to me is productivity because productivity links to your wasteland. It links to your bank balance. It links to everything. And your ability to operate at a higher level was achieved through sobriety. And I think you can see that with some of the tangible things we're going to touch on in terms of what you were managed, what you've managed to accomplish and build during that six months. So for me, it's yeah. interesting that you say there's different stages throughout it where you see different benefits. So like you say, the gym came very quickly. When did you start to see the benefits in work? You were a hard worker anyway. You'd obviously been somebody that your business and your company had faith in based on your first six months when you would have definitely been partying once or twice a week. Yeah. And I know what you're, I know what your partner involves as well in terms of the, how long it lasts. So <laughs> when did you start to see the benefits in work? Fitness came quite quickly because you're fresher. You're, you're, you're consuming less empty calories. So your training's unreal. I think, I think with fitness, we are touching it briefly. You think about what fitness is, is exercise, food, and it's sleep. If you don't drink, you will exercise better. You'll eat better and you'll sleep better. So I think with exercise and, and you know it yourself, like if you've ever had a big weekend, Monday in the gym is rubbish, but Wednesday you're, you're, you're better and by Thursday you're fully firing and then that cycle repeats or you don't do it and it gets better and better so you see the benefits pretty quickly in the gym and that was probably the first thing but in work god it's hard to say because I've been on furlough for four and a half months so I didn't have that direct point of comparison like it'll be interesting when I do have a drink now I've spent six months working and being successful not drinking if it does affect my performance maybe from the other end because by the time I was back at work from furlough I've not had a drink since then um so I don't know if I've got kind of direct point of comparison for it, mate. but I think that what I have achieved in relatively tough economic conditions is maybe testament to the fact that I'm not convinced that I'd have been able to achieve that if I had been, certainly wouldn't have been able to achieve that if I'd carried on the way I was carrying last, carrying on last summer. Anyway. In terms of objective measurements, you were recently promoted and that was ahead of schedule. Yeah. Would that have happened faster? Uh, sorry, slower if you hadn't been, if you had been drinking? I think definitely, yeah. I think if you break it down to that point, I had a goal in my in my head 
yeah, I'm not, not even mentioning it, you know. It's, so I wanted to be promoted by my 24th birthday. So that would have been August the 4th this year, and I achieved that by the 1st of February. Had I been drinking through that period, do I think I would achieve that? Probably definitely not. Um, I was able to work hard and consistently hard and operate at a good level. And I think clarity of vision and clarity of thought as well. I think that, you know what, with the not drinking thing, you know yourself that way where you've, if you've had a big night and you kind of wake up and the head's just a bit hazy for yeah. a day or two. There's just a bit of a, like a dull, a dullness that sets in. Having not experienced that, you know, for six months. And because you just kind of get acclimatized to it because it's just the dumb thing. This is what I mean in West Central Scotland. People just don't question it. You just go for after work drinks or you go to a gaff. Do you know what I mean? There's just no, it's just perceived as normal. But I just, I guess I started to question it. So just not having that dullness that then allowed me to have clarity of vision and thought about what I wanted to actually achieve and how I was going to actually do it, what that involved. And just, just having that, that clarity of vision and mindset was, it was and is a very power and has been very powerful for me. Yeah. You said there about the normalization of regular drinking in the West of Scotland. And I know that myself as a, albeit a little bit older than you Harry, like from my kind of early post university years, what have been the biggest tests for you in terms of breaking sobriety? Interesting question, because again, pretty much it's been a lockdown period, hasn't it? So apart from a kind of a brief period at the start, like it started off quite easy because I think you start with your why. Like to anyone listening to this or anyone I'm speaking to who wants to try a period of not drinking, you need to know why you're doing it. But I felt like I was very clear from the offset as to why I wasn't drinking because I had, I wanted to achieve these things. I had these like objective metrics. If you don't have a why, then when someone offers you a pint, there's nothing in your head to push back on that. You're like, well, why not? You know, why, why would I, why would I, why would I turn it down? Like, but if you are like, now nah, I want to achieve this and this, and you know that that pint is going to set you back or whatever it is but you have that why in place i think that's i think that's the most powerful thing and to, and, and that's what i would recommend to anyone know why you're doing it because don't just stop drinking just because harry young said so on Campbell conversations you know what i mean it's not it's, it's not like that you need to know why you're doing it because otherwise what's the point yeah you had you had quite big whys in terms of like you say maximizing your finances around after purchasing a property maximizing your productivity and your role maximizing your fitness now the gyms had reopened to achieve your best ever shape which again is another objective metric that we've we've managed to come out of this alongside the promotion is remember december last year after two or three months sober you were the biggest and leanest and most athletic you've been which is exciting isn't it when you when you think about that i would say probably that was the best thing i'm not even joking like especially <laughs> coming from a fitness background and and having dieted and taking supplements been to the gym and it's it's funny like i always think about one of these a quote i heard once and it was like the best line of code is no code I means like sometimes it's about what you can take away that's going to add more value rather than what you can add into something yeah so i think this is a massive thing with the fitness thing it's like yeah you can you can do more reps and you can eat more food or you can diet more but actually, if you think about how you're living and what you're doing in the first place, it became for me like, well, I always had in the back of my head, like, well, what if I took away alcohol? And the, 
the performance gains uh, and and the relative other stuff that I would get back in terms of sleeping and training and eating and actually taking that out of the equation from a health and fitness perspective, the, the transformation that I saw in my physical appearance in the gym was staggering. Like I, I was honestly quite shocked at how my body responded to that. Um, and also, to be honest, not even just that, but see the, the consistency of training you're able to get to when you're chucking in weekend sessions and you're eating properly all the time. Like it really is, it compounds quick and fast, especially since I had a, a probably a pretty decent base to, to work from compared to most. Yeah. So you're talking there about taking things away. One of the other things that you took away six months ago was Instagram. Now that's controversial because a lot of the people listening to this will find the podcast via my Instagram, which is fantastic. And maybe via you if you reactivate it to drive some traffic this way. So hello to all the new listeners. But <laughs> why did you take away Instagram, Harry? And what has been the result of that? Because it wasn't serving me. So I remember looking at my screen time on my phone and this ties into the, this ties pretty neatly into what I was doing at work. I remember again in the summer, not working, getting paid not to work, partying a lot, see my friends, whatever. I'm losing two and a half hours a day to Instagram. When I'm back at work, am I going to get enough done to be successful if I'm losing that time? Definitely not. And rather than just being like, why don't I just go on it less? I was like, why don't I just delete it from my phone? Like what value is it adding to my life genuinely? Like, is it serving me? Is it, is it actually serving me at this point? Like, do I get any benefit from Instagram? No, because every person that needs to speak to me has got my number or my Snapchat, which I kind of retained just for conversational purposes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So actually with Instagram, it just wasn't serving me. It wasn't aligned with my goals in any way. And I just had come to see Instagram as such a transitory and transactional way of communication at all just felt so lacking in any level of depth. And it just felt like such a tool of distraction. And one of the big kind of things I would say across the piece that I've been really focused on in the last six months in particular is to try and pursue a life of meaning over distraction. Like I think Instagram is a serious distraction tool for a lot of people. You waste hours away and what value add you getting in your life from it. Like, yeah, okay, on the surface level, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, I'm communicating with others, I'm staying in touch, but I guarantee you all the people I mean, this is just from my perspective, but all the people that are most important to you will speak to you anyway. And it actually, it's actually more of a point of interest when you do see people when you've not seen them in a while because they're like, what the hell have you actually been doing? Because I've not seen you post. Yeah, that's extremely interesting, isn't it? But the other thing that you've done with social media, like you say, you've got your WhatsApp, you've got your Snapchat, you speak to your, your friends on there, you have kind of your true connections on there rather than your kind of surface level stuff that you would maybe be replying on Instagram stories with clapping yeah. hands and love heart emojis or... Uh, or uh, doing Phil Union Jack sliders on my uh, <laughs> my or my Rangers posts, but one of the things that you've done is you've created content on LinkedIn now. Now that's linked to work as well. But how have you found going from somebody that was doing a little bit of creating around your fitness to then going to being a pretty much a consumer when you were working and had a an Instagram to now being very much a creator again on LinkedIn, a thought leader in the recruitment space, so to speak. A fascinating journey because. I would say it ties in with kind of the own my own self-belief and that confidence actually to get to that point with LinkedIn, which another thing, I don't know if I'd have got there if I'd still been drinking over the piece because it's just it's just something that you just don't have to do. It's a, it's a real value add tool. So it's like, well, I don't have, it's not part of my job. Really. I don't have to do it. But if I do do it, like, will it get me to my, to my long-term goals quicker? Probably, yeah. Um, I think with LinkedIn, it's, it's a tool that's so heavily linked to 
to what I do. And I love it because it's, it's just interesting. I think just, just in terms of what I do, it ties into the thing of like no one wants to be a tax manager, but it, you, you become part of enjoyment. And obviously in recruitment, you're told to get LinkedIn when you get it. When I first got it, like I wasn't even getting to that point. But I think with LinkedIn, it's the value add piece. So my clients and my candidates are on there viewing my content. So what value can I add to the post? What perspective can I give on something that's interesting? What can I tell someone that they don't know? What's, what are people that are in my market going to be wanting to reading about when, when, when they're on the bus or the train to work in the morning? So it's all about the value add thing. Whereas with Instagram, for me, and you know what? Obviously, I know a lot of people will be, will be listening to this that are on your Instagram, and it's the same thing with drinking. And I'm not slandering drinking or Instagram. I just don't think that they're good for me at that time. You know, it's, it's like what things serve you at this point because things can come and go like the nature of life is it's very very cyclical so it's like well at this point in my life were either of those things serving me no they were no they weren't am i am i gonna have a beer again 100 percent. am i gonna go back on instagram quite possibly not 100 percent sure about that one but but quite possibly maybe even for this podcast column we just don't know yet and yeah. um, so i think with linkedin it's a different type of experience and i think um it's not the sort of thing I don't say. You'd just sit on Instagram as a distraction tool, wouldn't you? But, you know, I find myself doing this a little bit more, but Instagram's not got quite the same the same thing. And Instagram isn't inherently bad. I just thought that it had become bad for me. Therefore, I took it away. Yeah. yeah. I, again, it's that subtraction piece. And then, Absolutely. yes, yes, you've added. So say you were on Instagram two and a half hours a day. <laughs> if you could replace that with... 35 45 minutes on linkedin you could potentially secure more clients be seen as more of a thought leader in your space by clients by uh, potential uh, employees that you can place so how much more rewarding is that than you viewing somebody's story for the 300th time this year and getting nothing like not really any value or maybe replying to your mate being like, haha, that's a funny meme. Like that, that's a really disparaging way to talk about Instagram. But, and I, and I like to think that I give value in that platform, but a lot of what we follow, especially like I've got a personal Instagram account and I'm on it for about 15 minutes a day because it's just my friends and from uni school and whatnot. And no offense to them, but they don't give me any value in terms of actual like information it's just for connection and like you say most of them who i actually really get on with i'm speaking to on whatsapp anyway i'm speaking to on in 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 group chats so i think it's really funny reframing that and i think if you are looking at social media platforms the absolute worst is tiktok don't even fucking get me started but then you've got instagram which depending on your usage of it can be reasonable but is also a massive black hole for your attention no matter how disciplined you are and then you've got LinkedIn, which is, like you say, much more professional. And it's, it's oh, yeah. top tier. <laughs> no, do you know what? It's a very, very interesting point because, see, with Instagram, like, I remember that first week I would would go on my phone and it wasn't there. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. But see, quite quickly, you, just, you don't do that. And then I see my friends on it when I'm around them and I don't, there's no pool there at all. I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but I genuinely don't care like what anyone's doing. I would rather hear about it from them in person if I see them. Like it's for me, this is just for me personally. I know that there's a lot of accounts on Instagram that adds a lot of genuine value. Your account being one of them. But my feed just wasn't that. And I just, it's just like you say, like the, the very interesting point you made there was attention black hole. And with a lot of the content I've consumed lately, you know, books, podcasts, 
a lot of, of very interesting people, very well informed people are saying that, you know, attention is the next big currency in the world, you know, not Bitcoin or fiat currencies, but actually attention, people's attention. Because if you think about the Instagram model, like I always use the analogy of Spotify, right? On Spotify, you pay 10 pounds a month. You don't get any more ads. You just get your music. On Instagram, they're monetizing your attention with adverts, right? So the longer that they can keep you on Instagram, the more money they are going to make. Therefore, the more of your attention that they can keep on the app, the more money they're going to make because it's not a subscription-based platform. So your own psyche and psychology is being gamified by probably some of the best paid developers in the world. Your brain is going to lose every time. Those dopamine reward centers are getting absolutely ransacked by Instagram. It's getting hit from every way. You know, I read, um, I can't remember the book now, but it was a really interesting book. And it was saying, though, the human mind now experiences more stimulus in one day than 10,000 years ago we experienced in a month. Our dopamine receptors are so overused and monetized by things like Instagram. And honestly, it is, it is wild when you think about it. Like, I'm sure we all watched, what was that The Social Dilemma? And you kind of watch it and you're a bit shocked and then you just go back to normal. But actually, the more time that you spend on Instagram, the more money the people that own it make. And actually, when you think about the value you're getting from that and the time you spend, is it taking you, like for me, it was like, you, you talked about LinkedIn compared to Instagram. Like, well, is that time, like, once I defined what my goals were, because this is a massive thing, like in this period in the summer, I hadn't defined what my goals were one year, three or five or 10 years. So I didn't have that clarity of vision. So I had no reason not to do it. But once I lined that up and I was like, well, you can start making decisions about people in your life or things like Instagram. You say, well, is this thing getting me closer to where I want to go, or is it actually taking me further away? And once you start thinking about it like that, and this is the essentials of people, Greg, with Greg McEwen, it becomes quite easy to take stuff like Instagram away that is just a tool of mass distraction when you actually have a clarity of vision about what you want to achieve and, and you're able to see it as something that is just a distraction tool. Right. You've dropped the E word, essentialism. Greg McEwen, his book's obviously been a tremendous influence on you. I, I really enjoyed the podcast he did with... Again, Chris Williamson, former guest on this show on Modern Wisdom, which was fantastic. This is one source that's influenced you. What is the biggest way it's influenced you? And then we can maybe go into some of the other sources as well, Harry, because I know there's been a, a few that have added up to where your current mindset is at. I wish I'd reread it, as I said I was going to do before the podcast, because I know I read it and um, I listened to Chris Williamson's podcast in November. I read the book in December. And I just loved it because... I'm a person that we've already discussed and it's the self-awareness piece that when I'm doing something, I'll, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll go down the road with it. But it's like, how can you extract the maximum value of something? Like to be, to be a leader in, in what you're doing, how do you actually get the most value about it? And people in the modern era spread themselves too thin. Um, I think a lot of the time, like you really want to dig deep on something. It depends what your goals are. But for me, it helped me see that actually find something that you're good at and just go deep on it, you know? Would you rather have, say you've got a hypothetical attention span of 100, 100 units, right? Would you rather be doing 20 things and advancing those things five units each? Or would you rather be doing five things and advancing those units 20% each? I mean, I'm not trying to say you need to get obsessed with one thing, but it allowed me to get a bit more clarity about, you know, what were the things that were the real value adds in my life? You know, I wanted to focus on work, on fitness and developing deeper and more meaningful kind of friendships and relationships with those who I valued, my friends, my family. And... And all those kind of things kind of tied tied into each other. And also, I'll be honest with you, another one was golf. Um, <laughs> I wanted to um, to play more and more golf. I just, I just learned to love last last summer on furlough. I wasn't just in the pub; I was also on the golf course. Yeah. 
probably the best some, some best summer of my life. Um, but it really helped me to, to, to frame that in the terms of actually it's okay just to focus on one thing and try and maximize your potential within one avenue rather than trying to do everything. No, just, just find something that you're good at and put your energy and your resource into that. I think you've neatly taken a leading self-development text and used it to its full effect. How many of it, and again, thankfully it's been a topic in the podcast a lot that it's not a race to read 52 books a year and measure your dick and be like, oh, I'm the best at reading self-development books. But are you the best at actioning them? And I think it's clear that essentialism played a leading role in you actioning good habits and good routines and good intentions to move forward. And again, again, I've just dropped the H word, the clangor that is habits. Atomic Habits is something that I know that you and I are both big fans of by James Clear, hopefully a future guest on this podcast. But talk to me about, about Atomic Habits and uh, some of the behaviors that you built for peak performance that you've achieved over the last six months. I've got to say, as much as Essentialism is a great book, it's a little bit more niche in terms of how people can apply it to their lives. But I do think that you, everyone should read Atomic Habits. Like, what an awesome book. I think the way that James Clear actually breaks down the science and frames it is amazing. And I think I started to get more exposed to the power of compounding interest in a non-financial sense, as opposed to the actual power of compounding interest in terms of compounding good habits in my life, probably about a year ago, but maybe it took about five or six months to settle in my psyche. Um, if you see, if you know what I mean, like it's kind of the thoughts kind of swirl, but you're actually like, how, how do I can action this? Cause it's not an immediate thing. And then it kind of clicks and reading atomic habits was powerful because in terms of actually how to frame habits, how to make habits, how to make, the, how to make the easy, the right, how to make the right thing to do, the easy thing to do and how to make the wrong thing to do, the hard thing to do, like even tying into not drinking it's like well at the start I just wasn't putting myself in the situation but I just wasn't going to the events until I felt like I'd developed enough willpower like that makes me sound like I drank too much but it's like even the concept in the book of when he's explaining that willpower is a finite resource so it's all about gamifying your environment to help you reach your full potential so like yeah I, I think I think just with atomic habits just the way he frames it and makes positive habit building applicable to the layman i think it's powerful and it helps me to to drive a lot of the positive habits that i was trying to instill before we move into some of those habits that you built you mentioned there about friction around bad habits and you mentioned there about sometimes removing yourself from the situations where you might have drank but to give people some reassurance you haven't been a hermit and when applicable you've still been able to socialize what have been some of the situations where previously you would have been tonto squared absolutely going for it that you've been able to go to now without any alcohol it just isn't like i just it's funny you get to a point and i think we, we talked about this in terms of timelines earlier on you definitely do get to a point where suddenly you're just not tempted and um because your why is so strong and then you've built up the routine of not so then it becomes actually harder to have a drink than not have a drink like it would be more of a I think if I went to, to socialize with my friends now and they saw me having a drink, they would be more surprised than not. Do you know what I mean? Like they would, that would add to this period of time. And I'm sure a lot of them listen, they'll be like, that strange behavior that he's actually having a beer, you know what I mean? After football in the park or something. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think at the start, I probably just needed to build those good habits and routines, but quite quickly, 
I was able to socialize again and just not be tempted because my why was in the right place and I knew I knew I wasn't drinking I knew it wasn't going to add value so it became an easy decision and as you say I have been social and um, when it's been COVID acceptable um, and it's fine and, and I've, I've got no reservations about it and actually in those social situations I've actually found myself to be a lot more interesting and a better conversationalist and more confident and articulate and arguably have better self-esteem than when I had had a drink and and had that social lubrication that actually doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily you know what I mean it's like you have to to take yourself with a pinch of salt because is that is that really who you are or is that just you know what I mean like I think I'm much more myself which is yeah. which is really powerful it's actually been one of the powerful powerful learning learning curve from it yeah it's a very powerful learning that you can be your authentic true self and be comfortable in it in a social situation without like you say the social lubricant and sometimes once you've had that social lubricant you can behave in a way that you think you should behave so you'd be a bit more rowdy you'd be a bit more um a bit more daft and that's fine sometimes in the environment and like you say as a young guy you were you were getting experience and learning and enjoying these things but can you also the next day look back and be really pleased with how you conducted yourself and like enjoy the conversations you had without the fear and that's very difficult to achieve when you have a lot of alcohol um whereas you can go into an environment now be extremely comfortable with who you were and, and what you discussed and how you felt without the need to be like oh i need five or six pints before i can maybe say some of the things that i want to say yeah like i think waking up without the fear is a revelation like it's strange because you still go out and socialize until late and um and it's fine like it, it really is fine i genuinely it's funny to realize i mean i'll just swear on this yeah of course you are how much shite people talk when they're drunk like people just talk shite like it's um it's unbelievable and i think at the amount of times i must have just chewed someone's ear off they probably weren't drinking that much and they're just been like jesus this guy is just talking rubbish. But like, it's funny when you just sit and listen to people like, it's like nothing good ever happened after two in the morning. Like no one, no three drunk people have ever, you know, ever, ever stumbled across any genius. It's not like that way when you're actually drunk and you're actually, you're sat there with your mates and you think that you're getting to the heart of, heart of it all, but it's not like that. But it's, it's funny, it's funny to sit back and be the observer in those situations. I've, I've, I've learned a lot from it. Um, but as, as you kind of touched upon, which I'm a, I'm a big proponent of like, I think drinking in this country is a rite of passage. Like you need to have had those social experiences to tie in, you know, to, to just have that kind of social acceptability. Like it's, I would never, if you're 18, 19, 20 to listen to this, unless you've got a serious issue, I wouldn't encourage you not to drink. I think when, when it does get to being a bit more interesting, I think it was similar for yourself, you know, after university and stuff like that, where it's like you get out into the big bad world and you realize what the benefits are versus the cost, like a cost benefit analysis of, of alcohol so it, it becomes it becomes applicable in a, in, in a different kind of way like I, I wouldn't want to encourage like i will definitely drink again probably soon but i also will be doing that knowing that in the future if i want if i if i have a period where i need to knuckle down and focus and i want to achieve this goal in work or this goal in the gym that i'll know what the benefits will be of removing alcohol and i'll know how to implement doing it and i'll be able to leverage it leverage the the, the alcohol as a tool like it will be on my own terms as opposed to like, for a lot of people, it's like, they're almost, they're almost dominated by it. Like in those social situations, like they can't imagine going out without a drink or doing this without a drink. So 
it's not that they've got a problem, but it's just that they kind of let it run them rather than being in control of it and using it as a tool and something to be enjoyed. Do you know what I mean? It's it's this, it's a kind of a subtle difference, I would say. Or I don't that. Or I feel like I don't that anyway. Yeah, I, I reset my use a long time ago where I started to be more selective, like post-university. So that was maybe 2014. Since then, I was drinking four or five times a year on occasion. Yeah. Sometimes six, depending on what was happening, if you're going on holiday and whatnot. And then, uh, yeah, exactly. And then October 2019 was the last time I had a drink, so probably about 18 months now. Um, But again, I'm not ruling out having a drink again. I think maybe by the time this podcast goes out, me and you might have had a drink together to celebrate Rangers' (laughs) world world record-breaking 55th title, which which will be excellent. Please, if you're a Celtic fan, don't switch off at this point. We've got more value to give, and I won't wind you up any further. But for, for, for me, Harry, like it's about resetting the relationship where you can pick and choose the events that you believe it'll add to. So for me, Ocean Beach and Ibiza, yes, I want to be right on it with my friends and going for it. Uh, a big brunch in Dubai, I want to be right on it and going for it. If you want to go and watch Rangers St. Mirren on Saturday at three o'clock, I'm probably going to take my car because I don't really want the three pints. It doesn't do anything for me. And it, yeah. it, it just actually, all the input is actually negative in terms of its output for me. So I'd just rather have the car and be myself. I don't need the three pints. Equally, I don't want to go to the local pub in Bears Den and have the same Friday night that I had like five or six times like every couple of months when I was 18, 19, because you first had an ID that would get you into that pub. Like, great. Like, yeah. you you earn nothing new. So we, 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 we've talked about sobriety there. We, we touched briefly on habits. You have a very addictive personality and in, in in regularly have channeled it positively, particularly in this last period. I know that you've maybe gone all in on a lot of different habits during the sobriety period and started to strip that back. We've talked about uh, you and I on one of our our marches around the the Reservoir at Mogai have talked about over self-development. But for the listeners, let's talk about what you stripped it back to as your fundamental, essential habits that have driven you forward for high levels of performance. So there's three for me. And I'd say the absolute foundational cornerstone of it all, even before... I, I kind of did the sobriety piece was 10,000 steps a day. So I remember looking at my average before that and it had been like four and a half thousand. This is someone that used to be involved in the fitness industry, you know, four and a half thousand steps. And I was like, this is just ridiculous. And then that would have been like mid August. And since getting out every single day, 10,000 steps a day, rain, hail or shine, doesn't matter if I'm split up from a morning walk, a lunchtime walk or a run in the evening, doesn't matter. Just 10k steps a day. However you choose to do it, up to you. But that's been the absolute foundational thing for me because just getting myself moving outside, exposure to fresh air and more vitamin D. You know, I read this very interesting blog recently about Ranjan Chatterjee. Um, yeah. Podcast of Live Better. I can't remember the name of his podcast, but it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not as good as Modern Wisdom, but he's got some good stuff. And he they basically did this test. It was like ask people to measure how they felt before a walk. And usually it was like a four out of five. Every single time people after a walk felt better than they thought they were going to feel. And you do, and you always do. And just especially with everything that's going on as well, getting the separation from work and life in the flat and getting outside and getting moving and how good movement is for just getting your brain ticking over helps with ideas from work socially. 10,000 steps a day. Is, I mean, I've, I've got some of my mates doing it as well. And I've got my mum doing it and I'm like, I'm preaching. I'm like a Jehovah's Witness for 10k steps a day. Like I'm, I'm backing it 100%. 
I think that's been transformational for me because the positive trickle down effect of that habit on the other habits in my life has been good and you can build stuff of it and it's one of the build stuff off it it's one of the things that James James Good talks about a lot habit stacking and getting out for walks you feel better when you come back from a walk therefore you can tie that in with meditation or journaling or reading do you know what I mean so I think that's that's been I think 10k steps a day has been the most powerful one to me and now if you look at my average steps a day now compared to last year it's like twelve and a half thousand versus five thousand and I think I've absolutely reaped the benefits of that so that would be the first one I would encourage everyone to start with that superb and it's it's that famous phrase that I tend to say it's low hanging fruit because it's very accessible in Scotland it's only hard because of the weather but it actually builds, and this is me kind of going all David Goggins on you. It builds some calluses when you walk in the shit weather and you come back to work and you're like, yes. I've already done like five, six thousand steps. That was pretty miserable, but I feel better, even though I'm a bit, I'm a bit damp. I'm gonna get dry, get ready for work, and I'm ready to go. I've started my day on a positive note. So like I love ten thousand steps, but I particularly love a good chunk in the morning to start the day. It feels like you've kind of you've you've started the day strong, you've won the morning, and you're like, right, okay, well. Now I'm going to go and deal with these emails. I'm going to deal with these calls. I'm in a good position to, to win. So that's number one. And it's number one for me as well, in many ways as well. What's number two, Harry? This is one that I've not really talked about as much because it's been a different kind of a journey with it, but meditation. And it's not one that I'd have probably, if you'd asked me when I started this off, what I thought would be top of my list. It's, it's not there at all. It's something that I've experimented on and off for years with the Headspace app. And it's always like, I've maybe ideologized it, idealized it, romanticized it in my head about what it is and how it would affect me. But it truly is one of those ones whereby compounding interest just eventually takes hold of it because there's very, very little tangible day-to-day change when you meditate every day. Like it's, a, it's, it's so subtle and unnoticeable. It's a slow shift in terms of mindset, but that's just, it's so hard to measure. It's so intangible comparatively to like, if you go out for a walk and you do five or 6,000 steps, you feel better. Like mentally, physically, your attitude, your work ethic, you feel better. It squares you up. And whilst you do feel always better after meditating than not, it's just a bit more subtle. And one of the goals I actually set myself for 2021 was to meditate every day this year. And so far I've stuck to that because I got into it again like again like september time last year and i was in and out and i was trying to fit it in but it's become a non-negotiable part of my day morning and night yes and i just think that for someone like myself and i know i've encouraged you to have more of a tribe but if you're that type a personality very driven very focused very goal oriented got a lot of things going on in my head all the times but just creating that separation from like all the positive great great stuff that we have talked about in this podcast and, you know, as you can probably, if you listen to this, you can tell that I think about things a lot. So there's a lot going on up there. Um, so just actually creating that space between all that has been awesome. And it, and it's had a really positive trickle down effect in a lot of aspects of my life. And it actually ties into the steps because, you know, taking steps by yourself and, and getting that time of genuine solitude. You know, I would define solitude not just as time by yourself, but as time without the input of any other mind. So if you listen to music or podcasts or anything like that, that's not genuine solitude because you have to some degree, someone's input coming in from somewhere else. Whereas actually just taking time by yourself to be alone with your thoughts. And that's one of the things that I've become a lot more comfortable with actually through this whole period is just time alone with my thoughts. But a lot of that's to do with 
the kind of internal housekeeping of my head that's kind of provided by meditation and the basis that's given me. So that's been massively transformative for me, although it's not necessarily one that I actually discuss with people that much or would have even really thought that would have turned out to be such a big thing. I think it's you just have a strangely more personal, intimate relationship with it compared to some of the other habits. I don't know. Yeah, I think you can definitely see how it helps somebody with a type A personality, like you say, who's very goal-driven, a lot of thoughts going on. It's that quieting of the mind. Yeah. It's interesting you touch on the solitude piece. One of the things I implemented in the last few months has been on the drive home from the garage gym. I've got access to turning my music and my radio off and just yeah. home for 10 minutes. And I love having input all the time. So podcasts which is the majority of the time. So when I'm meal prepping, when I'm eating, when I'm uh, maybe playing around with a spreadsheet, there's always something in. I'm like, oh, what can I, what can I listen to? Sometimes it's humorous. Sometimes it's like really like, just low level stuff like a, a podcast about rangers heart and hand is one of the ones that I listen to and f- for me sometimes when you turn off the creativity going on in your head is crazy that's why i really struggle to meditate harry because my thoughts come through i'm like i'm gonna do this tomorrow and this tomorrow i'm gonna write this post i'm gonna write this email i'm gonna message this person about the podcast and i cannot i i cannot turn that off and that's something i'm gonna have to i'm gonna work on when it comes to meditation but you have to make all habits work for you. So like the way that I would counter that is like, I know of a guy that's got waterproof pen and paper and a shower so you can take notes. If, if that's what meditation helps you to bring out, then when you're doing it, keep a piece of paper and a pen beside you, write a list, get the thoughts out, make meditation serve you. I do that as well. When I come out of meditation, I've got a list written there and all I've done is I've given clarity and structure to my thoughts by relaxing and it all come together. So I would encourage, I mean, this is, this is just for you personally, but like, it's the thing, it's such a personal experience. You want to eke out the most valuable, the most value you can from the habits you do. It's, we talked about this before, it's input versus output. So if that time alone causes you to have that experience, take a pen and paper to hand while you're doing it, write all the stuff down, get it all out, get it organized and use that as the benefit of it. You know, it, everyone's going to get, everyone's going to utilize it in a slightly different way. I'm on board, Harry. So that's two fundamentals which have served you really well. Hit is my number three. The final one, and I call them my three keystone habits, and I define that as the three things I would expect to accomplish every day, rain, hail, or shine, regardless of working, whether I'm working or not, what my location is, what I'm doing, I would expect to achieve these three things every single day. I've got tier two habits, you know, like journaling, ROMWOD, you know, taking vitamins, stuff like that, all really positive stuff. But I'm like, well, if I do four or five days a week, I'm happy, that's good, it's compounding, it's enough. And obviously, I define these as the three keystone habits that I would expect to do every day and the third one is gratitude journaling and i've spoken to a lot you know it's finally people are a lot less reticent to do something like that than meditation i've noticed like i've actually it's interesting posting this kind of stuff on linkedin and occasionally if i'm speaking to fds and nfcs or financial finance directors and finance controllers like senior finance guys i just had a conversation the other day and the guy had obviously seen my post on linkedin but hadn't interacted i hadn't known he was doing it and he mentioned that he he does it as well and he'd noticed me posting and i just thought you know, it's all the stuff that you just, you don't think that's making an effect and it actually is and people are listening and consuming and, and you are, that message is getting across and we were talking about him and it's just, it made me think that gratitude journaling in general is just one of those things whereby, you know, so I actually got my mum the six minute diary for Christmas. You know, you recommended it to me, it's what Chris Williamson uses as well. And the thing about you say is about low hanging fruit. Like to me, the idea of having an A4 notebook and writing down 10 things I'm grateful for every day is sickening. It's absolutely sickening. There's absolutely no structure to it, but the six-minute diary, it makes it easy and accessible. It's laid out. 
you take three minutes in the morning, three minutes at night, three things you're grateful for, what you're going to achieve today, and an affirmation. And then at night, you reflect on you know, one good thing you've done, highlights of the day. And I just think that boxing off like that and making it so simple and so accessible for everyone is awesome. And it's just such a simple way to focus on the positives in life. Like I've always taken the attitudes, or recently anyway, that's completely, I've not always taken this attitude, but recently, so it feels like always, it's quite encompassing that like often yeah. situations are what you make of them. It's, it's the lens which you choose to view it with. So I think with the gratitude journal, it just keeps in the forefront of my mind how lucky I actually am to, to be in the position that I'm in at 23 and to make most of all the good things that have happened in my life because it's very easy and I think in the past I've probably been quite ungrateful for all the actual benefits I've had in my life and that's the thing about Instagram as well it kind of ties into what I was saying about this previously it often forces us to focus on the things that we don't have to focus on consumption rather than appreciation for the things that we do have which I don't necessarily think is a very helpful helpful way to look at things and constantly being bombarded with what we think we should look like or what we think we should have and we'd just be happier if we had this so I think that kind of ties in with it the gratitude journaling it's like well these are the things I do have and I'm lucky to have them and and I think that that's been again quite a transformative thing for me like I, I don't ever see myself not doing that and the fact that you know, there's a book that you can buy for 20 quid off Amazon for six months at a time that frames it in a nice way because low-hanging fruit is another one for me. It's like, well, when I started out with habits, it's like, what things can I do immediately that will see tangible results? Stuff like, you know, wake up, have a pint of water. You feel better every time. Like, turn off your phone 20 minutes earlier. It's like the little things that cost nothing that make a difference. I think with the six-minute diary, it frames gratitude journaling in a way that's accessible for everyone. I got it from my mum for Christmas. Mum, if you're listening, hope you've been filling it out. Um, so it's just a, it's a very nice, easy way of, of getting in. And with obviously, with meditation, you use Headspace. And with iPhone, you can track your steps. You've got a Fitbit. So all these things are so easily trackable and attainable. So it's so simple to just pick the boxes, get it done, no matter what happened today, move on to the next day, get it done again. Yeah, of those three keystones, like you say, they are the low-hanging fruit. Meditation is, like you say, the more difficult one. It's harder to see an immediate return from. But you get, a, you get an immediate return from walking. You get an immediate return from gratitude journaling. The fact that you were saying there about that blank page, I tried to start journaling January 2020. And I was like, it just a sick feeling in your stomach. Also, some of the stuff I was writing at that point in time as well, which wasn't great in terms of my self-image. And yeah. to then go to find this structured setup um diary for me to fill in morning and night I was like this is amazing like why how did I not find this before equally I've had friends that I've recommended it to and they've used it for a while and then they've gone to more free-flowing stuff because they've almost like felt they've graduated to that and that's fantastic but if you've never written down what you're looking forward to that day or what went well that day or a good deed that you did or how you could make tomorrow better in a positive light rather than being like today was shit I was lazy being like oh today i didn't manage to do this 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 tomorrow i will set aside time to do this 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 there'll be priorities that was fantastic for me in terms of reframing my criticisms of myself harry and putting myself in a positive light because i am extremely self-critical and hard on myself i imagine you are as well to some extent too but like you say the gratitude piece around the small things has probably meant that during this pandemic when a lot of the big glitzy fun things have been stripped away from many of us, we've been able to seek comfort to some extent. I don't like the comfort word an awful lot, but we've been able to uh, seek appreciation 
in some of the smaller things like the morning walk, like the coffee on your walk that you like to get before you start work? I think that if you can't enjoy a coffee before work, a decent flat white from a good coffee shop, then you're not going to be able to enjoy a flat white and a Lamborghini. Do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what you get to in life. If you can't appreciate what you've got in this moment, then you'll never truly be happy. I, I truly believe that. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? I, I've come to realize that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I certainly like that, Harry. I think we've covered an awful, awful lot today in, in, in the podcast. And we've kind of put a way forward for people who maybe think that being an entrepreneur is the beyond the end all and it isn't for, for for many of us we've looked at having a purpose within your career and what that leads to but most importantly probably we've addressed the benefits of sobriety as a productivity hack but rather than just as if you've got a problem with alcohol or if you're uh, somebody that just can't go near the substance we've talked about it as a productivity hack and all the different things that you've been able to build during the six month period that even if you choose to have a drink for Rangers winning the league for your best friend's birthday for a wedding when we're allowed to do those again you will just reset and go again and pick the next occasion and and have these three keystone habits and all the other different things that you build up positively even when you reintroduce alcohol and that must be exciting yeah absolutely it's like I remember doing my every weekly monthly reviews um, it's just a, it's a short thing and it just it just keeps me keeps me kind of ticking over and there's no doubt that, that this period for me has been quite transformational in terms of my life in terms of in terms of where I'm at my clarity of where I'm going and a massive part of that has been coming away from from alcohol what I'm used to and just just questioning the normality of it but as, I'm equally as excited to be back at the pub with my mates and having a drink as well at this point to be honest like I think I was seeking a better, healthier relationship with it and a more interactive balance and, and a more positive outlook in life. I think it maybe just, it took me taking it away to, to strip it all back, take stock of what's actually important and, and meaningful in life and then reintroduce it on my own terms. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to do that now, to be honest, and then use it as a productivity tool in the future when the time is right again. Um, for me to kind of get the deep dive and go for the promotion and get settled into the property ladder and there'll be times like that again but I'll know how to do it it's like it's like the gym is like you talk about getting the reps in, in the gym and it's like the gym is such a good analogy for this because even coming out of this there's no gym period I know you've got access to the garage gym I've not been so lucky on this occasion but once you've been at a certain size of strength and you've got muscle memory you know you can do it so it's like you have the understanding of how you did it and how to get there and, and you know how that works so now I've kind of been through that I've come to understand my relationship with it more and and, and learn all the benefits of it and I can I now feel as if I can use it as a tool yeah that's a fantastic analogy for us to wrap up on Harry now you're not on Instagram you might be very briefly for the return the podcast but where's the best place for people to connect with you off the back of this and maybe have a chat around some of the things we've covered Genuinely LinkedIn. <laughs> if you don't have it, feel free to drop me an email to harryyoungfitness at gmail.com. I still use that um, back from my PT days for email. So if you do have any questions about this or you want to learn anything or have a further chat, I mean, my job in recruitment involves me being on the phone all day. So if anyone did have any questions or advice or any support or anything like this, I would be more than happy to take a phone call with them. I actually find that much more of a meaningful interaction than just an email or a phone. So 
um, just drop me an email to harryonfitness.com or if you've got me on LinkedIn, you can always find me on LinkedIn. And aside from that, I'm pretty much not really contactable, kind of through choice. I don't see that change. Yeah, it is nice. Like it's, it allows me to focus on probably the things that are more important. Spot on, Harry. Both of those will be linked in the show notes below. If you are new here, please hit that subscribe button. We have weekly episodes coming every single Sunday and I promise you the value will continue and I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.